Good afternoon and welcome to the Sitka Nature Show. This is your host, Matt. I want to thank you for joining me here in the first full weekend of May 2022. Feels like we are squarely in the spring season now with lots of birds moving north, some of them moving further on and just passing through here, others that will stay here and do their nesting. A good time of year to listen to birds singing and get out and enjoy both the birds and the wildflowers. I've noticed a number of wildflowers blooming as well. As always, I'd love to hear what you're seeing out there. Please feel free to send me an email, sitkanature at gmail.com, or get on Facebook and like the Sitka Nature page there. You can also find recordings of past shows at sitkanature.org slash raven. The conversation I have for this week's show is one I recorded last weekend with Victoria Vosberg and Jen Cedarleaf. We spoke a little bit about spring birds, but most of the conversation was focused on the highly pathogenic avian influenza. I had invited them to uh, talk with me to share a little bit of information, what they know, and what some of their concerns are going forward with this influenza that infects birds and particularly impacts raptors and poultry, that is chickens. At the time we were recording this disease had not been reported in Alaska, but since then, Victoria tells me it has been reported in domestic poultry, waterfowl, and bald eagles. We'll go ahead and join the conversation with Victoria, sharing a little bit about the avian influenza in general and why this particular strain is of concern. There's tons of avian influenza out there, yeah, and a lot of it uh, doesn't even cause disease. The the one that we're concerned about right now is called HPAI, highly pathogenic avian influenza. And they define avian influenza as being highly pathogenic because of what it does to chickens. They had to pick a species because avian influenza works so differently in different species. And it also goes to some mammals like humans and ferrets and cats and marine, marine mammals. mammals yeah. yeah. So when so in the past we've heard about bird flu. This is yes. kind of the broad umbrella of of an avian influenza. Some of them transmit readily jump to humans and then cause big problems in humans. Yeah. Others In fact, not an you know, issue. speaking of humans, uh, the Spanish flu of 100 years ago that we've all learned a lot about because of COVID, uh, they think that that virus is based in avian influenza mm. origins. It's not the highly pathogenic avian influenza that we're worried about right now. This particular one is all over the world, and uh, one person was identified with it in the UK, and one person has been identified here, but we don't even know if it's the H5N1, the one that Jen and I are talking about today. So maybe two people have gotten it, and neither of them have actually gotten very sick. So fortunately for people, this particular strain that's going around is not going to hurt us at this point. Unfortunately, this particular strain, because just like COVID, everything mutates and it's different and all that, this strain is, of course, killing chickens because that's the definition of highly pathogenic, but it's also killing a lot of raptors and a lot more waterfowl. In the past... So this came through in 2015. Um, In other years, waterfowl are the carriers, and it doesn't seem to make them very sick. We do seem to be seeing more waterfowl dying from this strain than other strains, which unfortunately means that scavengers eat their carcass, and the virus stays viable in the carcass, 
And then the eagle or the raven or whoever ate the carcass gets it and they die too. And there's a YouTube video going around right now of an eagle eating an eagle. And I have a feeling I wouldn't be surprised if that dead eagle died from avian influenza. And now tragically, the eagle eating it is going to die as well. Mm. So it's... uh I guess we've learned a little more about ep- epidemic, um, sort of <laughs> epidemiology, I guess is the word that I want there in the past couple of years as we watched the various strains of COVID go around and, and sort of learned a little bit about them. And so with with this, it sounds like highly pathogenic avian influenza is, is really more of a category than a specific uh, flu variant or something. But so in this it's case, a type there's... A influenza virus, mm-hmm. which has two proteins on it, H and N. And then they have their own little number. So right now we're dealing with H5N1. And there are a lot of different variants due to all those different numbers. And then within H5N1, there can be mutations. And so there can be variations there. So there's just like the human flu and just like COVID, it can just keep evolving. Yeah. And that's the thing. This one has mutated into one that's really bad for raptors anyway. There's a lot of um, bird species that they don't know how it affects. Like, they don't know how it affects songbirds yet. They don't know how it affects... We were talking about hummingbirds the other day, and, you know, they just don't know how it affects a lot of these other birds yet. And so I guess raptors are probably... Well, I mean, chickens are obviously kept in Mm -hmm. massive numbers for uh, food industry, and I remember reading, I mean, I just sort of like little side articles in the paper or on the internet somewhere. I don't even remember where exactly, but it was like, oh, yeah, we're th- there's massive culling of chicken uh, flocks, I guess, not herds, but uh, flocks uh, at these because they're highly dense um, mm-hmm. where they, they're keeping them for especially, I think, for meat production, but probably also for egg production. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. very densely kept in these in these uh, situations, which, you know, is is conducive to transmission of, of uh, illness, I suppose. Uh, and so because it was so pathogenic, they were, you know, one strategy is just to kill all the animals, mm-hmm. essentially, and, and try That's and correct. get it out. As of two days ago, over 21 million chickens have been called. Mm. Depopulated is what yeah. they call it. And I know, and I talk a lot to the uh, folks in Minnesota at the the Raptor Center there, and Minnesota is one of the... Um, Hot spots. It's probably the <laughs> biggest producer of turkeys in the United States. So they've also had to cull a lot of turkeys. And hmm. yeah, it's just sad. <laughs> it's just sad. And it, they also cull backyard poultry if it gets into your backyard. Yeah, flock. which is what we have a lot of here. Yes, yes. So, so we have, um, you know, we have concerns for backyard poultry. We're trying to get the word out, um, give people links of to the USDA, which gives advice on how to protect your backyard flock. But, of course, Jen and I are focused on protecting the Raptor Center. Um, And it would be extreme, but we have to keep thinking in terms of, one, if we got avian influenza into the Raptor Center, because raptors are so sensitive, they could all die from it. Or we get one positive case, and does the government come in and depopulate the entire raptor center? I don't know if they would do that, but we can't take a chance. Right. So we have to act in ways to totally protect our 
population of birds at the Raptor Center. So Jen and I have been working on a plan. It it feels like COVID all over again. You know, I, I feel like we're that group of doctors and fire, you know, fire department personnel who were meeting every morning for COVID. Now it's Jen and I meeting um, and, and Boss Cross meeting to make a plan for how are we going to prevent avian influenza from getting into the Raptor Center. So, so far it's not been reported in Alaska, but this is migration season, you know, one of right. the joys of spring, <laughs> everything coming from south to north. So, so that seems like, and, and again, you were mentioning that we, there isn't really a lot known about how songbirds carry and or transmit uh, it, but certainly waterfowls seem to, and there's plenty yeah. of ducks moving through, yeah. eagles eating ducks. Uh, so part through. of our, part of what we've already done is we are not, um, we are not picking up any dead birds at the Raptor Center. We are not taking in any waterfowl. So um, we've gotten a couple calls about a, I think it's a greater white fronted at the lake that's limping pretty badly. Mm, I saw that one. Yeah. We're, we can't do anything. We're, I mean, it's safer for us to leave it where it is. Because, and just to reiterate, waterfowl can carry the virus and appear perfectly healthy. So that is why we have chosen to not take the risk of bringing a duck that seems fine, just has a leg injury, back to the Raptor Center because it could have avian influenza and just kill everybody. Yeah. Yeah, and our testing, so we we take a test swab or two and we send we have to send those out and it takes like, what, a week? Yeah. For us to get results. Um, so we're not going to get results fast. And in the time period, like, it's very fast acting in raptors. Like, they get it. It has, like, a short incubation period. And, like, by the time we notice the symptom, they will be dead two days later. Mm-hmm. So it's – there's not a lot. We can't do anything mm-hmm. about it once they get it. So Yeah, I think it must have been in the email that you were – that you had shared, Jen, that um, – Maybe it was from a place in Minnesota. Uh, I think it was a, a, a bird veterinarian that was talking that really the only thing, at, at, once they get it, it's kind of euthanasia is the yeah. most. Yes. And uh, that, that's actually the director of the, um, the Raptor Center at the University of Minnesota. And she is an epidemiologist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she, I mean. And a veterinarian. I hate to say she's in heaven, but this is like what she studied. <laughs> she's not in heaven. She feels very bad about it, but it's. Um, they're so lucky to have her right now because she and the university. I it's hard to say just the Raptor Center because we call our place the Raptor Center, but um, they are like the best known Raptor rehabilitation place in the country, and they do a lot of research. They're at a vet school. They have they can get their avian influenza test back in sixteen to eighteen hours, whereas ours take a week. So. They're, they've been successful treating a couple of birds that have it, but um, I found out on Wednesday they of the birds that they've admitted, 56% of them are turning out to be positive, and those birds, most of them are being euthanized. Mm. So as birds are coming in because they're seeming injured or sick or something, those birds are many of, over half of them are having... Is the reason they're coming in because they're sick? Mm-hmm. Basically, because they're showing it's a symptoms. Rehab center. Yeah, yeah, and and the the biggest sim. Well, is it a symptom or is it the they're what they show? Oh, like <laughs> so they, they're showing 
there's uh, the raptors are showing primarily neurologic signs. Mm-hmm. So you think of avian influenza as respiratory, but what we're seeing is um, a bird that's, you know, maybe out of it because its brain isn't working properly, or it's stumbling around, or it's tremoring. Um, so it's not what we think of as an influenza thing, but that's how it's showing in the raptors. So if we and, saw a raptor that was like acting weird, essentially, and mm-hmm. and didn't seem to fly right or seemed to be disoriented and wasn't really afraid of people in the same way or able to get away, then that would be uh, an indicator of the potential that it's been infected and absolutely in yes. quite sick. And un- tragically, how we would have to deal with that bird is um, direct euthanasia um, and, and, of course, testing. And that right now... Uh, we're not allowing any neurologic birds into the center. It's just automatic euthanasia and testing. And they we do it outside the raptor center so that we don't bring anything in. And maybe now's a good time to talk about fomites. This is important My at the raptor center. My new favorite center. word, fomites. fomites. Yeah, I, I learned a little bit about that in, in COVID times, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is very important for um, people with backyard poultry. Um Avian influenza is very, very transmissible, much worse than COVID. At at the beginning of COVID, we thought that fomites were a big thing. And so we were, well, let me back up. A fomite is an inanimate object that can transmit a disease like a virus. So with COVID, we were all, all worried about our packages, I remember. Oh, yeah. Because uh, we just didn't know at the time. We had to learn that it's unlikely that you're going to get COVID from your mail. But I do remember people putting their mail aside and not touching it for days, just in case. It. <laughs> yep, spraying it down, all that. So um, COVID really didn't use a lot of fomites, we came to learn. Unfortunately, avian influenza is transmitted through every bodily fluid. So if they poop, if they sneeze, if they vomit, anything, they can transmit. But fomites are huge in avian influenza. So if you go to Swan Lake to feed the the ducks, and then you come home and feed your chickens, potentially you could have picked up avian influenza on your shoes and then brought it into your chicken yard and your chickens can all get it and die. So it's uh, so yeah. I guess I guess that was sort of the the beginning point. And I guess just to reiterate, it it is similarly deadly for chickens as it is raptors, even though the waterfowl mm-hmm. don't seem to be. I wonder correct if ptarmigan and other sort of. Yeah, I think all the gallinaceous yeah, birds, think, it is equally deadly. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So so the uh, people that own or, or, or keep uh, poultry chicken, if you keep ducks, I guess that's less of an issue in terms of the threat to those individual birds, but in terms of transmission, uh, it's still that they can be carriers and and Mm -hmm. transmitters. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are most likely, we as being humans are most likely, and I suppose other animals as well, if our dog is running around at the lake, then it can pick up the the fomites just as easily, or if it's Mm -hmm. rolling around in whatever. Mm -hmm. so if if we see you still want to know if somebody sees uh, an eagle or other raptor that's just being weird, uh, you want to know about it. Presumably, you'd like to test it and and uh, yeah. If we have the if I have the time, 
and someone calls and tells me they found a dead eagle, I will go out and test it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if I'll always be able to break away from what I'm doing, but um, that would be ideal because um, I would be very worried about just a randomly dead bird. Mm -hmm. So that's something that... um you know, Jen, you mentioned that your, your Raptor Center is no longer taking birds. Often in the past, people have been able to bring in the dead birds and they'll mm-hmm. go to the museum. But as a precautionary measure, uh, folks are just recommended to leave dead birds where they lie? Or what are you suggesting? That's what we're we're telling them. Um, yeah, I, that's a hard thing to Just say, like though. with COVID, you know how with COVID, things were changing all the time. It's yeah. the same with avian influenza. So as of today... We are not taking bir- dead birds, and we're we're telling people to let nature take its course. And if we have the ability, we'll go out and test it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, don't that touch could change them. tomorrow. I would say just you know, if you don't see a dead them. bird, just don't touch it. Leave it there. Yeah. Keep your if you're out hiking, keep your dog away from it as much as possible. And um, you know, it's also a concern. Is it also a very big concern for citizens? That's like a, if you have a like, parrot. Passerines, it's also a don't know situation. Okay. Um, it's we think it's not very risky, but no one really knows. Yeah, no one yeah. really knows. don't necessarily want to take the chance. Yep. Uh, yep. So for anybody that has parrots, I don't know how many people in town have parrots or similar birds, but um, yeah, there's a handful. There's a handful. <laughs> I figured there was there was some around, but um, yeah. So this is is kind of interesting. Sounds like. Um, yeah, I guess it'll be a challenge because we're coming up into the summer season and you have lots of visitors at the Raptor Center. Fortunately, yes. probably yeah. most of them haven't been walking around in duck yards. But um, yeah, I, it's it's something we have a whole DEFCON level <laughs> plan set out for what we're going to do. Um, Are we at DEFCON 4 right now? Is that yeah, we're at DEFCON okay. 4. Um, <laughs> so we're OK. But, you know, there's we also have some of our birds down in Ketchikan. So we've set up these certain mile radiuses. Um that if if there's a case within like 200 miles, we're going to pull those birds back from Ketchikan. Um, we may actually in the we just talked about this morning um, still being open to the public, but not using any of our education birds for the programs, actually just using um, artifacts or like wings of an eagle um that would be defcon one that would be defcon one (laughs) (laughs) so hopefully we won't get there but you know i've been working on biosecurity and i have a meeting that i i chat with one of the ladies from the minnesota raptor center every wednesday and every wednesday i get off the phone and i just want to go crawl in a hole and be like ugh. I don't want to deal with this like they've had complete failures of nests like there there was a news story on this family of great horned owls that in a park in Minnesota that lots of people know where they're at and they watch them and they follow, you know, the babies growing up, the entire nest failed. Like there were three babies in the nest and the parents and they're all dead now from avian influenza. And I think that one really hit a lot of people hard down there in Minnesota because they're these birds they've been watching for years and years and now they're gone. And who, I mean, someone may come in, but and take over the nest, but who knows? You know, yeah. it's been, there have been a lot of losses of great horned owls in their nests. Um, in Florida, they lost entire nests of, of adult and, and just hatched baby eagles. And it's been pretty devastating. So. Yeah. So it's going to be, I mean, I just, it'll be a, a waiting game, I guess, to see how long it takes 
that this is in the population and is kind of, uh, you know, as things are mutating, you know, I guess the hope is, and, and eventually probably it happens, is, is things either get infected and, and die or the, or the virus mutates enough that it's no longer quite as dangerous, dangerous yeah. for, well, for the birds. The last time in 2015, it never really got to Alaska. Mm. Um, I am very much crossing my fingers that that doesn't happen again, but I, this one just seems so much easy, so much more spreadable that who knows? We just don't know. And Victoria keeps track of um, where the latest cases are. I think it's a USDA website. Yeah, I checked this morning. Um, the closest cases are a little over 700 miles away. So that's like southern BC? Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we start moving along our DEFCON system when they're 300, 300. miles away. So we're so still doing like Prince good. Rupert kind of? Yeah. Like yeah. Guay, Prince road Rupert. system kind of like up to Haines. Wait, is Haines less than? Oh, okay. Yeah. So it is um, an interesting. Well, what should people look at in their. So you mentioned that the Eagles are. It's neurological. Mm-hmm. Waterfowl may show no symptoms whatsoever, so there's not really much to look for mm-hmm. there. But with chickens, are they also neurological and would start acting weird, or is there something else that folks that uh, keep chickens should should be? I believe that for? is the case. I think they show uh, the same neurologic signs as uh, as the other birds do. Um, I did get, I did see a video of a goose, a Canada goose, down in Minnesota that was walking in circles, you know, just kind of circling and looking aimlessly around. Um, so, you know, people who watch birds a lot, and I'm a person that watches birds a lot, so I say things like, oh, you know, if they're not acting normal. But people who don't watch birds a lot don't really right. know what normal yeah, is. Yeah, so, fair enough, yeah. Um, but I would say anything that is having, like, stumbling around or balance issues or... Um, Where it's not obviously like an injured right, foot or something like that. like yeah. an injured foot um, or like holding their wings out and just uh, – we saw a video of an eagle that she seemed fine and in the kennel and then they pulled her out of the kennel and she – just that little added bit of stress, just she couldn't stand. She was circling backwards. It was – it's just really – really hard to see and it's also really really hard for me um and i'm sure the rest of us at the raptor center we we work with these injured birds because we have a big heart and we want to save everything and now to not you know to have to tell people on the phone i'm sorry i can't do anything about it is it's really difficult for me um (laughs) and so i have to constantly remind myself of why we're not doing this and you know i while i still want to get the swabs and contribute to research I also don't want to put our birds in danger so and that has to be our number one thing yeah because you can't just train a bald eagle to do programs like that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it takes a takes number a of while. years <laughs> and you get to know them over the over the decades that oh they've yeah been there. yeah I mean how, what's the what's the longest tenured raptor uh, eagle there at this uh, point Volta who's been there since 1992 oh wow and then we've got a red-tailed hawk Kylie who's been there since 95 so, long time. Yeah, old timers. Yeah. Yeah. So, if folks are, I mean, maybe concerned and, and wanting to uh, take some care with their with their poultry in their yard, you know, uh, Victoria, you mentioned, be, you know, if you're going to the lake or going places where birds are hanging out, probably 
a basic disinfectant routine or, or at least changing shoes or something would be advisable. Um, changing shoes is ideal. Yeah. Uh, USDA has a lot of information that they've published for backyard poultry people on um, preventing avian influence and, and all that. But the bottom line is you need to think about how it's transmitted. It's transmitted from a bird going into your yard where the chickens are, from a bird pooping in your yard where the chickens are, from you bringing in the virus, which means to truly protect your chickens, you you have to lock them up and you have to completely change your clothes when you go in there. This is overwhelming to most people, and I get that. So what I recommend is that you learn as much as you can about avian influenza and biosecurity and then make choices as to what you feel you can do and understand the risk. And how much, I guess the, I guess the other question that comes up for me is, is if people are seeing some strange behavior in their flock, for example, um, like when would you all be interested in knowing? Because presumably you want to know if it's here. One of the first indications of avian influenza is multiple chickens suddenly dead okay. for no reason. Oh, so One, they don't really show the symptoms? They, they can just be sudden death. Well, just like oh, raptors, sudden death yeah. is a possibility. Okay. Um, and other symptoms that we can... S- Let me grab my hand out here. Other symptoms in chickens <coughs> um, besides sudden death... Um, becoming paralyzed, so those neurologic symptoms, swelling of the tissue around the eyes and purple discoloration of the comb and wattles, twisting of the head and neck, so they've got a photo of a chicken with its head laying on its back and its beak straight up in the air. Um, so those are the, those are the big things. Um, so basically the the change in the comb and the wattles and the neurologic signs and sudden death. They did make it clear, you know, chickens sometimes just die. So you have one chicken, don't panic too much. You come out in the morning and you've got three dead chickens. That's when you can panic. (laughs) And um, most likely um, right now I would send a swab home with that person and then they would bring it to, back to me, and we'd get it tested, and we'd do expedited testing for that. Okay, so so that sounds like a good sort of like if your chickens are suddenly all dead, uh, get in touch with the raptor center or, or you at the pet's choice. I would say pet's choice. Yeah, that's that would, would be, be fine. Yep. Yeah, because I'm not going over there. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, and so you know, there's quite a few people in in Sitka that have chickens uh, and keep chickens, but you know, even more probably that have bird feeders. And, you know, there's the great mm-hmm. mystery of songbirds and hummingbirds, you know, the, the various birds that we like to attract to our yards. I think feeding birds is, other than hummingbirds, uh, you know, seed feeders are a little less prevalent in the summertime than they are in the winter. But I think there are still some people that keep seed feeders up. And, and certainly the birds are a little more dispersed in the summertime because of nesting territories and right, whatnot. Yeah. But uh, it sounds like there's kind of a lot of mystery around, uh, just a lot of unknowns really about how this is affecting or, or moving through songbird populations. So, uh, you know, I guess from a, from a, 
from that standpoint, you know, you can operate from an abundance of caution or, you know, at, at whatever sort of like uh, approach that you want to take. What are, do you have recommendations for folks that like to keep feeders, hummingbird feeders, seed feeders, and, and what to do with those? Um, so they are recommending taking down feeders. Um, and my biggest thing when I found that out was, but there's so many people in Sitka who feed the hummingbirds. So I specifically asked about hummingbirds and they don't, again, don't know how it, it acts in hummingbirds, but it is recommended to clean your feeder every single day. And, you know, hummingbirds are pretty territorial little things. So especially this time of year. So there may only be like one or two hummingbirds that comes to your feeder. And it didn't sound like they were that concerned about hummingbirds right now, but I would definitely take, be more cautious, you know, make sure your, your feeders cleaned and disinfected and, um, or get two feeders that you can switch one out, you know, for the other one while you clean it and have, have that one inside. And then you put your clean feeder out the next day. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I guess I'm like, I'm thinking of flocking birds like siskins and, mm-hmm. and in the wintertime, juncos. They're all, I've still had the few siskins around, but now it's like ones and twos instead oh, of tens and twenties. Oh, yeah, <laughs> she's got so many siskins. Yeah, well, I, which means I still have my feeders out. Yeah. But I'm checking yeah. the website every single day. And if it gets close, of course they'll come down. But yeah. uh, it's so far at this point. I'm leaving them out. Yeah. And I mean, it's clearly it's more of a risk. We took our feeder down at the Raptor Center. Because we're right, more of a risk. Yeah. But like, you know, I think it's okay to leave your feeders up at home for now until you, until it gets, hopefully it won't get closer. But yeah, um, I know in Minnesota, they just keep saying, so apparently the virus dies down when it gets warmer. Oh. And they just keep saying like, oh, when it gets warmer, it's still like 30 in the 30s down there right now. So yeah, they're still dealing with cold weather and they're just all hoping that it gets warmer and it gets warmer and it's i'm like well how warm is warm right you know this virus supposedly loves water you can put a dead chicken in the freezer and the virus will still live on that that chicken so we're not taking any like any chickens that die we're not taking those either because we don't know if it's got avian influenza and freezing it for a week isn't going to do any good so i'm like well how warm is warm because you know it doesn't get that warm here (laughs) <laughs> right. And I guess, yeah, you have to be concerned about the food supply for your for your birds mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Yeah, we uh, order quail for our falcon, um, but we've already, you know, contacted our quail producer and he has already is aware of it, taking precautions. They're doing very, they're, they've got their biosecurity down. Speaking of biosecurity, if you don't know anything about it, you could like get a degree from a four-year university <laughs> about biosecurity. It is headache-inducing. <laughs> There's a lot going on. A lot of ways things can get transmitted, and, mm-hmm. and ways to uh, that you would I imagine that you would never think of unless you're sort of faced with this. Of like, oh, okay, yeah. what are all the holes in this? In oh this, yeah, uh, plan? all you have to do is take your protective gear off wrong, and you're oh yeah, contaminated it's, everything. It's insane how. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't want to have to deal with it ever again. You know, it's like you have to figure out where everybody walks and like the people who deal with birds can't cross paths with the people who are getting off the the um, tourist buses. And how do you do that? I mean, we've only got so much space. And like for us with rehab, we're still going to do the rehab, 
But when it gets to a certain point, everything is going over to Victoria's. We're not even bringing it. It's not even going to come to the Raptor Center anymore. Mm -hmm. So, and we get, you know, we get a lot of birds from out of town that we're going to have to at some point say, sorry, we can't take your, you know, we're just going to have to let nature take its course. And it really sucks because a lot of the little towns in Southeast don't have the ability to even like take a bird to a veterinarian and have it euthanized. They just have to leave it. Yeah. Well, it is, it is, uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully, as you say, it won't, won't make it up here, but I just think of all the ducks that are traveling through and, oh, yeah. and eagles do seem to like to eat duck. Um, I've seen them catch them a yeah. couple of times. And we did have a, um, I looked at the map this morning with Victoria and it's like the Mississippi flyway is just covered with dots. I mean, especially Minnesota, um, Iowa, <laughs> all those like right there. And I just, and we had some training last week at the Raptor Center for oiled birds and oiled sea otters. And one of the women that was there says, you know, we get birds in Alaska from all four of the flyways. Mm. So. Oh, right. Cause they come up through and then yeah. they head, head west a bit as they come up through the central. Yeah. So, um, I don't know how we're going to avoid getting it in the state. I just, I mean, unless the birds are dying before they're yeah, strong I guess. enough to, I don't even know because the ducks and swans and geese can still carry it. Yeah. Do they have a sense of how long the contagious period is for them that they, they're able to transmit it? They don't know because some of them don't show signs. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, you were mentioning that it prefers uh, cooler weather, but then, but then it sounds like it's also been in Florida. And so I'm like, well, cold weather in Florida is, uh, is, hot weather here so right yeah and i <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's all relative you know yeah, it's yeah it's, that's why i'm like how warm is warm like is 60 good enough <laughs> right so so uh at this point it's not been it's not been recorded north of southern bc but we're just kind of we're approaching the peak migration for for waterfowl and shorebirds, shorebirds yeah. uh, and songbirds have you know, they have a, a more extended uh, migration, uh, kind of we're probably peak sparrow migration right about now. There's yeah, a lot of uh, a savannah of, sparrows and of them golden crown sparrows. Oh, um, so many golden crowns at my feet. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. So so for folks that are feeding still, it's it's uh, your recommendation is to you know pay attention, essentially, and, and monitor uh, via the USDA website. I'll get a link from you and post it when I post a recording of this, which at this point won't be for at least another week, because um, my next show, uh, when this is airing, will probably be uh, the first Sunday in, or second Sunday in May, so the 8th of May, probably when this will be airing. Um, of course, if you're hearing this, then you'll know that by now. Um, <laughs> but but here in the past, we don't. Um, and do, do you have the website off? The, it's USDA, but... Um, I'm going to have to send you the link. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So probably if you Google USDA uh, highly avian pathogenic influenza. alien or alien, I keep saying alien, avian <laughs> influenza, um, then that should should also find you lots of 2022. resources. Twenty twenty two. It helps to put that. Yeah. Oh, okay. So avian influenza twenty twenty two USDA. Yeah, you should uh, get some good information. Yeah, and There'll definitely if you have chickens, I would say go check out their. They have a lot of really good information as far as. Yeah, as you know, backyard flocks and just I'll try to come up with some links for that as well. All right. Well, yeah. And I will include anything that you can send me on on when I post this on my website. So 
Yeah, that's um, I guess I would classify that as somewhat grim news uh, <laughs> uh, for for springtime here. But but it is springtime, and we have a lot of birds moving through. I just uh, saw there was eight marble godwits at the turnaround uh, beach oh. this morning. Oh wow! So sweet. Yeah, they're starting to move through. It's been a been kind of a um, sparse year so far. Maybe by the time this is airing, there will be a lot of stuff because sometimes the first week of May is when like all the shorebirds show up, but. Uh, maybe this sunny weather has been um, letting things just keep going north. Sometimes it seems like they're like, hmm, we're not sticking around. I'm kind of hoping that they, they take their time because I have to go down south next week. So I don't, shorebirds are my favorite, so I'm going to miss them all, I have a feeling. But it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. That, I mean, there's there's always some that linger towards the end of May. Yeah. But yeah. I'll go see the Godwits today and then I'll be happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were they were fun. They were down there right at the water's edge. I think the tide's coming up now. I think uh, somebody told me that there was eight of them at the mouth of, of Indian River at the park last evening. And I suspect because there was eight down there, I suspect oh. it's the same flock. I didn't check Swan Lake today. And of course, by the time this is airing, who knows uh, where things will be. But Victoria, you mentioned you've had um, a lot of uh, sparrows visiting your feeder. What what are sort of your highlights of the spring so far? I've had, I think, nine golden crowns at one point. Uh over well over 50 maybe in the 70s pine siskins um one lincoln sparrow i think a couple savannah sparrows at the feeder yeah i still haven't seen a lincoln sparrow yet i've seen a handful of reports of them coming in but i still haven't seen a tree swallow either oh it's just been a couple of tree swallows yesterday at the lake were there more than one there were i saw two or three at one point flying around okay so So they're starting to show up yeah it's just if we had that cold snap in well i mean it was sunny but Mm -hmm. it got so cold for a while i kind of wondered if that discouraged some of the species and then the weather was rainy and stuff down in california and the west coast uh, california through washington so i was wondering about that yesterday i was out at star gavin um kind of near mosquito cove and there were least sandpipers mixed with savannah sparrows Mm. and to me that it was really interesting because it helped me understand how tiny these leases are are. because they looked smaller than the savannah yeah and i i've never seen them together yeah i well i saw that you posted on ebird you'd seen a northern harrier which i uh out there was that out at mosquito oh yes that was the same thing that um this female came she just worked the entire shoreline i was just sitting there eating lunch zoomed right by me and then went all the way around and finally went around the corners where I couldn't see her anymore. Wow. So it seems like the Harriers that have moved through this year have all just kind of moved through. They have Sometimes yeah. they'll stick around for a little while. But I was uh, over at the airport one day this week. I don't even remember. And I, I saw something big flying. I was letting the dog out to run around. And, I, um, and it was kind of in the distance. And I, I'm pretty sure it was a Harrier, but I couldn't tell you know i saw it for a half a second and then it was gone i don't think it was a short-eared owl but i'm pretty sure it was a harrier yeah there's been uh well actually there were also three coots over in whiting harbor recently. oh really yeah ah. yeah weird um, that was that was sort of strange last year there was a coot that showed up this time of year on swan lake so i don't i don't know uh then 
yeah, Harry's been moving through, but it seems like they've just been moving through, Going, which, yeah. which is what they want at the airport. They don't want them hanging out there and probably neither do. I mean, some of us like to see them there, but, uh, but generally speaking, it's best if they don't hang out at the airport. I'd rather um, see them at the park or at the, yeah, at Star Gavin. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it just seems like they're kind of moving through and it is a good time of year to be out looking for raptors that are just moving through. Often the, the smaller birds will hang out for a little longer, but not always the, black bellied plovers and there's been three different pacific golden plovers reported but all of them were essentially seen for a few minutes and then and then gone and then gone so far you know we'll see what happens as the as the spring spring goes on but it is uh yeah it's a good time of year you never know you know day to day different stuff moves in there was just tons of uh savannah sparrows i think i went out to star gavin after you were out there yesterday and yeah, same. I saw the the tide was up, and so the least sandpipers were running around in the kind of the still still very small grass, and the savanna sparrows were in there with them. Uh, there were still three Lapland longspurs as of a couple of days ago out in the estuary at at Star Gavin. Oh, around I in the looked grass. for them and couldn't find them. Where are they? Well, they were at the upper. They, they seem to be moving around, but mostly in the upper end of the estuary. Um, so and, near the boardwalk? Yeah, at times, but but yeah, certainly visible from the boardwalk. It, when they're not down in between everything, uh, I discovered there are ants in the estuary as well, um, <laughs> small ants. But how did you discover that? Yeah. yeah well, I, I uh, first I, I noticed them because I was sitting there hoping that the longspur, uh, the Lapland longspurs, come back. They had flown across over towards the river, and I was on on the other side, and. So I was just sitting there, and I was kind of poking around in the grass with my finger, and then these ants came out, and I was like, oh, they must have a nest. You know, I think of ants as having hills and yeah. stuff, but they don't really have hills here, but they, they still have their nests. Uh, and so I guess it's in the ground. I don't know how they survive because that is part of the estuary, so yeah. it gets yeah. flooded from time to time. So yeah. uh, it's a mystery to me, but they were there. They so form they, large rafts, yes, I bet. Cl- clearly they figured it out. <laughs> they were little little guys. And then, um, and then later... That I had gone over, and and then the long, long spurs, of course, had flown back to where I had been sitting originally. So I went back there, and this time I was I was watching there, and I was sitting down. And I kind of scooted forward, and then I was kind of like, "Wow, what's that?" You know, sometimes when you're sitting on the grass, and you know, just a little bits there, kind of gets on your back or something. I noticed that, and, but it kept being there, and I was like, "Oh!" And then I realized it was ants, and I looked, and sure enough, I was sitting on one of these little ant nests, and they had started to come up. Oh and my were, gosh! They were crawling around on me, so I had the literal ants in the pants. Uh, experience <laughs> which was which was a little bit uh yeah i mean somebody probably if they were on the boardwalk seeing me sort of doing what i was doing out there would be like what is that guy doing dancing well, around trying I, was, to get the ants. I was trying to get the ants out of my pants yeah um somebody asked me if they bite and i was like i think that they do uh it wasn't like painful right but then now i've noticed that i have some welts that itch a little bit and so i'm like oh yeah that was probably those ants bite biting so i didn't i didn't really notice it at the time but um, i'm noticing it now uh yeah. <laughs> so well, just they were little the then it they, was they were little, little. <laughs> i mean i hear stories about fire ants and all those other kind of ants that are just like you know you don't want to mess with but mm-hmm. um, but yeah that was my experience in the estuary recently watching for birds so you know it's not always a safe activity i guess <laughs> um but yeah there's some nice nice birds around the the harriers i'm still hoping to see and so somebody um sent an email out that said there were brants on the lake yeah, I think that those were the, the white-fronted cack- geese oh, and the cackling and the geese. Cackling yeah, geese. so there was I that did, big mix. I just pulled over to look yesterday because I was like, brants on the lake? I've never seen a brant on the lake. And um, I and I did notice there was you know, a handful of cackling geese there, so I was wondering. Right, and some of the cackling geese had a partial white collar. 
Oh. And so that might have been part of what it was as yeah. well. I think, yeah, somebody, I was at the lake the other day and somebody said, are those brant geese? And I was like, well, no, those are white-fronted geese and cackling geese. Uh, they, the one day there was, I think, 11 cackling geese and two or three of them had not like full white collars, but partial white collars. The interesting thing was the, that's often considered a good character for Aleutian cackling geese, the subspecies that mm-hmm. nest out on the Aleutians. But the collars didn't look as full and the birds seemed small to me. I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen them. So maybe it wasn't, but I was curious if sometimes one of the other subspecies might be able to have those. So I'm going to have to ask somebody that knows goose, goose, Goose identification, goose if you get into that, yeah, it gets a little <laughs> little tricky and fussy. Um, but then there was like 30-some uh, white-fronted geese, and then the next day there was almost 60 white-fronted geese and only three cackling geese. So I was like, I wonder if everybody moved, left and then this is a whole other group, or if some of them left and some new ones came in, or if none of the white-fronted geese left and there was just a bunch more that came in. Uh, if, you want, if you want some... Uh, Something to puzzle over, you can also look for the Thule subspecies of white-fronted goose, which is a little bigger, and it nests in um, Cook Inlet. So it's a Cook Mm. Inlet subspecies, and the rest of them, I think, uh, nest more out in the tundra western and and northwestern Alaska. But um, I saw one of those, I think, in the the mix as well. But that one's, it's it's just bigger, so it's a little bit It looks the same, it's just a little bigger? It's it's noticeably bigger, like if that's what you're looking for. Yeah, but otherwise, yeah, it looks the same. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. (laughs) Some people really get into the subspecies identifications. Mostly I I don't worry about it. Um, But yeah, brant are generally saltwater birds, so I don't think, I've seen them in estuaries, but I've never. Well, and uh, the places I, I always usually see them off the park. Yeah, I've never seen them anywhere else. I see. I saw Kitty saw some like out. Yeah, there were some out on the sound at mm-hmm. the um, the um, well. It would have been like um, a week ago from when we we're talking, two weeks ago from when we were talking, but three weeks from when this is airing. Uh, there was uh, two different flocks that were out there with all the gray whales, you know, mm-hmm. the, out off the south shore of Kruzov, and there's been a lot of gray whales out there. And so, yeah, there were some of those. And somebody else has seen some redneck ropes out on the sound recently. Mm. So those are kind of moving through. There's a few Bonaparte skulls, but I haven't really seen that much in town. And I remember Marge saying that, well, it matters where the herring spawn. Mm. Uh, so if you have a big herring spawn in town, then you'll tend to see more birds in town because there's more to eat there, I guess, right. which makes some sense. There was just a nice little spawn at the... Yeah, I saw the, the bridge. Yeah, I saw last couple of days this past week there was a little little yeah. pocket of swan uh, spawn and, and eagles were out there and and uh, I, oh, I didn't see the eagles when I was there, but somebody else posted pictures. I always find out about stuff on. Fa- I don't check Facebook until the evening, and then sometimes I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> if, if only I had seen that there well, were I see all these things. Connor saw a ring-billed gull too. He did possibly a ring-billed gull. I don't know if anybody. Said that it was, or you know, agreed with him on iNaturalist. But um, I'm like, man, how do, he sees all these gulls, and I'm like, oh man, maybe if I took the time to walk out there and stand in all the gulls like Connor does. Wow, well, he could, was. I could see these weird gulls <laughs> that day at the park. There were easily hundreds, probably a couple thousand gulls scattered out around the whole. Like there aren't always loafing there in front of the visitors on that side of the beach you know often they're out by the right the, point. Uh, point but this day they were kind of all along there he told me later he said i had i he'd been working his way down the beach and he was almost to the end 
and somebody with their dog went out on the beach and they just let their dog run and the mm-hmm. dog started chasing the birds. And he said, I was so frustrated because I was almost through all the goals. And then, of course, they and all, they take, all off. take off. Yeah. yeah. And I, w- I saw someone the other day in the park, too, um, letting their dog just run and it was chasing gulls. And I just keep thinking of the shorebirds that have made this huge migration. And I'm like, they're tired. They just yeah. want to eat. Don't <laughs> yeah. let your dogs chase them. Birds, please. Yeah, I think technically speaking, even on the beach in the park, it's supposed to be unleash only. I know that there are other places where where that's not. And I, yeah, dogs do what they do. And yeah. so it's kind of, it, it, it is, it is sort of, I guess the owners get to make the choice about how, how constrained they're going to keep their dogs. I, I do get a little frustrated sometimes when, when I'm sitting there on the beach, you know, waiting. Cause, cause you can wait and shorebirds will come right up to you mm-hmm. if you wait. But, um, but they'll also fly away if something comes up and scares like them. Like a wave. So, yeah, <laughs> like a wave or an eagle. That's the thing. Or an eagle, yeah. Eagles, <laughs> eagles get me as much as uh, much as dogs do uh, just because I'll be sitting there and I'm like, why are all these birds taking off? I haven't done anything. Yeah, I know. And then, and then you over. look up. <laughs> yeah, and there's this eagle kind of flying down. And uh, sometimes they go after them too. Uh, and every, Well, the other day there was a peregrine falcon at Halibut Point Rec. I was just I was kind of there and I'd just gotten down far enough to where I could – identify that they were surf birds and black turnstone and then everything took off and i was like what and then this um peregrine falcon comes streaking oh, cool. in going after him and and i uh, didn't get any but um and i've also seen um a couple of merlins lately that are the pale ones uh I oh, really yeah i don't do you have merlins at the raptor center no we don't uh, i i would love to have one but it seems like every merlin we get in just doesn't it doesn't make e- it too far gone or yeah. just not yeah or something's too badly wrong with it and we have to euthanize it but um one of these days well most of the merlins i've seen here are those really dark brown ones yeah. you know dark brown back and really heavily streaked uh front and uh, i was at the golf course the other day and all the you know i was again i was trying to count all the robins you know as they're running around on the grass all scattered around <laughs> I'm like how many robins are there here and then they all took off sort of like flying away from me. I was like, what did I do? And then I looked and, and it came up from from behind, you know, from behind me. And this uh, Merlin came up. I didn't know it was Merlin instantly, but it landed in a tree. And I went over and I was like, wow, that's a really pale Merlin. Mm. It's kind of a silvery gray back and then a pale front. And I think in like if you look in the Sibley's Guide, it's I think they call it the taiga form or something. It's a different subspecies mm-hmm. of Merlin that is just moving through in migration and then will be you know, presumably nesting somewhere up in the interior. But it's, uh, it's, it's, I mean, to my eyes, it seems a little fancier than our, our uh, birds. I remember when I was just getting started, somebody says, yeah, if there's a drab, brown, you know, dull version of a, of a bird, that's the one we got. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Always. So it's, uh, I think he was talking about that with sparrows. But um, That's funny. So I was in the park the other day and I was looking uh, at all the birds, the tide was way out and I'm looking at all the little birds popping around in the tidal flats. And has anybody seen any pipits? There have been some pipits around. Cause yeah. I always think, Oh, pipits. And then I get a closer look and there's Savannah. Spirit. Yeah. So I'm always disappointed, <laughs> but I just, pipits are so cute. They're just, they crack me up. <laughs> I've seen, I, I hear them. I've heard them more. There was a, there was this flock at the golf course yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're moving around in the lawn, the, the grassy areas, you know, and at the estuary meadow at Stargavin there, you know, because there's the, the old tufts of last year's grass and stuff, they're just, they get down in there and you can't see anything yeah. in there. But, but I heard them flying, you know, they have that pipit call uh, that they make that's 
that's that's what's kind of distinctive is that they say their own name a little bit to me. So that's how Gosh, I noticed them. But these ornithologists were brilliant when they named a lot of these birds. Yeah, they? I don't know if that's sometimes I don't. They seem to be named. What's the onomatopoeia? Is that the word? Where oh it's yeah, like it, the word sounds like the the sound. Uh-huh. Um, like chickadees. Chickadee. Yeah, right. I guess that's another <laughs> one. That's probably where they came up with that. But um, yeah, as we wrap up here, maybe uh, we'll just reiterate. So we're talking today initially about highly pathogenic avian influenza, influenza. which is uh, a, a concern for the raptor center because it's highly, highly um, deadly, basically, in raptors. So you need to make sure, do everything that you can to protect the birds that you have there at the raptor center. But it's also an issue for poultry keepers, uh, people that keep chickens, at their house, and also people that keep ducks just because they can transmit it, and so there's concern about uh, concern about that, and so just an awareness of that. Um, yeah, if you missed the beginning of the show, well, I'll post a recording on my website, but uh, uh, we won't we won't reiterate, re- reiterate the whole thing. But yeah, the upshot seems to be that yeah, there's reason to to take some precautions uh, right now with. Um, you know, your exposure to wild waterfowl especially, but, but maybe other birds as well. And, and Victoria, you were saying that it's, it's any, you know, any bird droppings, bird cough. I don't know how often people are around coughing and vomiting birds, <laughs> yes. but I mean, your experience any is different than most. Any fluid that comes out of yeah. a bird is infective and it remains viable in a dead bird. And mm-hmm. so presumably and in the droppings as well for some period yes. of time. So that's where if you're walking around at the lake or something like that, you could pick it up just by walking there mm-hmm. and, and have it on your shoes. So it's, you know, not something to freak out about for, for humans, um, but it is, it is something that we want to be aware of. And so if there's, you know, I guess the take home for people is if they have birds that, uh, if they have sudden chicken death in, in multiple birds, like that's a, a, a big red flag. Yes. If we see birds that are uh, out in the wild that are, um, displaying sort of neurological issues, it looks like, like they can't walk and, the, you know, mm-hmm. that that would be an issue of concern and they should um, let you know, Victoria, and, and just contact you at, at the Pets Choice. Yeah, yeah, and then we'll decide, you know, everything is constantly evolving, so let me know and we'll decide what we're going to do at that time. All right, and yeah, any anything else uh, on the Raptor Center side? I guess the the upshot being that that you're no longer taking for, for the present time. You're not taking in dead birds. No dead birds. No waterfowl. No waterfowl. No shorebirds. No shorebirds, and um, and no. Well, you still want to hear about injured or or uh, pro- eagles that are raptors that are having problems, but you'll have to mm-hmm. judge on a case by case basis yeah. based on a. Pers- um, the, the sense of risk and and where things are mm-hmm. at at that moment. Um, well, uh, yeah, I appreciate you all coming in. Is there any any other any other thing? I guess to end on a on a positive note, <laughs> any any other bird things you're looking forward to here in the in the coming weeks? I guess before the next time we talk in December and hopefully have a normal <laughs> oh Christmas boy, bird count. Am I looking forward to going out in the boat this summer? Burgess oh, and nice. I, we've got a like a five day trip coming up and then we were going to be out for six weeks and i can't oh wait. wow where are you headed for six weeks who knows we go where the wind blows i us. see yeah. <laughs> but we're hoping to go down um in the southern part of southeast so like maybe see misty fjords we've never oh, been yeah. there spend some time around prince of wales that sort of thing so nice yeah maybe i'll see some slightly different birds i don't know yeah well if you get out on the west coast 
now, I mean, I guess if the weather's nice, there's, I think there's been records of Brant's cormorants uh, nesting out that way. So oh. that'd be something to look for out there. I need that one. <laughs> you need that one. Well, uh, the easiest way to get a more consistent way is to go to Ketchikan in the winter. Uh, and there's a few in Ketchikan in the winter, usually. Oh. Who wants so, to go to Ketchikan in the winter? Well, <laughs> I, I'm with you, but uh, somebody who wants the Brant's cormorant Me? pretty bad. Yeah, All right, so fine. Go. I'll go to Ketchikan in the winter. <laughs> Maybe you have an excuse for Raptor Center work to go, go down and check something I out. Know. But, uh, I might. Yeah. And uh, how about you, Jen? Any any bird things that are that are... Uh, you're looking forward to? Well, I'm looking forward to the shorebirds, but I have a feeling I'm going to miss them. And then um, we're going to see some today. I'm, we're going birding after this. Yeah. I, I can't. <laughs> I have work. Um, Got to feed some raptors. Um, I don't know. I just like I like seeing all the ducks that are passing through. And um, I'm going to hope for a if anyone sees the hooded merganser, oh, let me uh, know. I, That's one of my favorites. And I haven't seen one for yeah, they're kind of rare here. Yeah, lately they used to be every winter that they would see them. I think they're I still know. in the area, but just not along the road system for whatever reason. So, but yeah, I did see a lot of um, their buffalo head on the lake doing their little mating things, and I was excited to see the swallows. And it's just you know, this is like oh, summer's actually here. Yeah, yeah, it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> it's coming its slowly. Yeah. <laughs> and I hope we have a nice summer. I mean, I've just I'm. I want to have a nice summer. We haven't had a really nice summer for a while, and I'm. Ready. I think we're due for one. Ready for some sun, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Well, with all the people that are going to be here this summer, it's going to be nice to yeah. still have some time to you, you enjoy get, Sika. Get some experience with people wrangling, perhaps. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> I I just hide in my office in the back I and see. let everybody else I, deal with. Y- yeah, <laughs> you're not you're not the you're not the uh, the the public facing. Uh, no, it's going to be weird though because we like. We haven't had all the chairs set up in the Raptor Center oh, right. for like two years. And so they set them all up this week. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> be a readjustment period. It so. will be. Yeah, that's nice. for sure. Well, well, hopefully the summer goes well. And even if you miss the spring shorebirds, the, the fall shorebirds are an extended, uh, you know, starting in July, basically through September. <laughs> so there's there's some opportunities to see some things Yeah, maybe there. we'll see another rough. Yeah, could happen. Or something better. Yeah. What's better than a rough? Not much. Not much. I'd like to see a sharp-tailed sandpiper. <laughs> Me too. I haven't seen one of those. Or even a stilt sandpiper, one of my great misses from early on. There was a bunch of them at Stargavin, and I was just starting. I was like, oh, I'll see those someday. I tried a couple times. I've never find seen them. one here. Yeah, well, I, I saw them, and where did we see them? Texas. Stilt sandpipers, oh, I think. Yeah, yeah. probably. But well, yeah, I appreciate y'all coming in, and yeah, hopefully we'll cross our fingers that the avian influenza doesn't make it up this way, but uh, yeah, do our best to... Let folks know and and take precautions that'll hopefully help. Yeah, that's all we can do. You've been listening to a conversation I recorded last weekend with Victoria Vosberg and Jen Cedarleaf. I asked Victoria for an update, and she let me know that since we recorded that conversation, the highly pathogenic avian influenza has been reported in Alaska. It's been found in domestic poultry, waterfowl, and bald eagles. So it is currently in the state. I'll include at least a couple of information links when I post this recording to my website, sitkanature.org. You can find recordings of this show and others linked from sitkanature.org slash raven. As always, I'd love to hear what you're seeing out there. Please feel free to send me an email, sitkanature at gmail.com, or get on Facebook and like the Sitkanature page there. Until next time, this has been Matt on the Sitka Nature Show, KCW Sitka.